You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. Welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd Podcast. Nerds. And we're already kind of nerding out here yeah. as we go to <laughs> go to tape. I was going to say tape. We don't tape. Nah, we go to tape. As we go to whatever. Yeah. <laughs> as we go into the ether. Yes. And send our signals out into the universe. Getting cosmic, man. As always, I'm with Cap and Alex from the Something Good Network. Yo, yo. What's up, everybody? And you can check out all the good stuff on the Something Good Network. That's right. And I recommend it to everyone listening. And in the meantime, you are, of course, joining us as we get nerdy with our KISS stuff. Oh, yeah. Today, we're going to go kind of deep dive nerd. Yeah, it's kind of like the inception of nerds. The nerds are talking yeah. about the nerds that got together to be nerds. Lots of minutia here. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Um, we are uh, going into, I guess this is the year 1994. Mm-hmm. We've come out of the Revenge Tour cycle, which ended at the end of December of 93, with the Live 3 coming out in the following spring. Spring of, or spring of 93. All right, I've already messed up. <laughs> December of 92, the Revenge Tour ends. Spring of 93, Alive 3 comes out. There we go. We talked about some of the performances they did to promote Alive 3 because they're not touring in this period. In all of 1993, there is no, well, there is actually some touring, I believe. Yeah, they did a little bit of promo for Alive 3, and that's when they started kind of scaling the stage back a little bit. And uh, not using the full revenge setup. When did they do the? I, you know what? I have this. Um, so it's really not until '94 that mm-hmm. they tour again, which we'll talk about on the next episode. Yes. Um, but on this episode, we're going to look at the uh, what is now very commonplace, and there's been tons since. But in the early '90s. There was the advent of what are now known as tribute albums. Mm-hmm. Right. And way ahead of the curve of this tribute album uh, concept was uh, an album produced by an underground label out of Seattle, Washington called CZ Records. But uh, before we get there, real fast, let's just touch on a couple of things that were going on in 1993. Because we're kind of zigzagging through the time here because I want to do, we wanted to do both tribute albums simultaneously uh 93 uh they do play on september 11th at the concrete foundations forum which is a sort of hard rock heavy metal label uh consortium of some sort for Mm -hmm. industry folks to mingle and advance their thing right um the wheeling and dealing it's interesting to note the set list isn't entirely uh comprised of classic makeup era material including the first ever live performance of going blind mm-hmm. 
So they're already kind of uh, feeding the the nostalgia monster a little they're, bit. They're they're starting to really tap into the, recognizing that you know there's some they're, they're you know what we all know that that is the band that is the era. Um, yeah, and Gene has said uh, he said he told music outlets that the band would be performing songs that they don't usually do in advance of the event. So they were even kind of using that as a telegraphing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On September 18th, they play at a, at a private engagement for the daughter of the chairman of Coors Brewing. And they play seven songs for her wedding reception. And I'm picturing Jean going, she was a very attractive woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, there's do million, you take... There's a million ways you can go with that, and I'm not going there. <laughs> All of the songs on that, that set were... Uh, classic makeup era with the exception the solo exception is forever yeah which i'm sure was the dance (laughs) i would actually love to see video footage of this there's you know there they did a private function some point in the early 2000s there's video of where they're playing in someone's backyard yes no makeup it's really kind of bizarre but um so uh even in the cultural shift that seems to be occurring in this time from the kind of poser hair bands to the rootsier, you know, grunge bands. If yeah. you want, and I'm, I'm using those terms with finger quotes, like, poser and gr- rootsier. It's yeah, more grounded. All, yeah, it's <laughs> all to your taste, obviously. But Kiss, throughout it all, seems to have surprisingly maintained a uh, sizable credibility. It seems like it is actually elevated, in fact, if anything. Yeah, I thought about that today, where it's like uh, in a scene where everybody uh, kind of char- characterizes these quote-unquote grunge bands uh, as uh, anti-rock star. They're celebrating the rock starness of uh, you know classic Kiss. Well, they all, I think what it is, is they're all fans of classic kiss whether you know that shows how universally their their appeal was back in the day um they uh they haven't been the commercial juggernaut of that era no. but now as there's this rising tide of new younger bands bringing the new thing you know but they still celebrate that same you know it shows that shared foundation that you know your quote-unquote poser hair bands and your quote-unquote rootsier you know, legitimate, whatever Mm -hmm. grunge bands, but they all share a passion and a love for kiss. And to that point, that underground album, this is, this is released in August of 1990. So this is so far ahead of the curve. So a, it was unusual to have a tribute album and B it was even more unusual to have a tribute album to kiss. Right. You know, and, and such, and so that, you know, in, in traditional kind of punk rock self effacing, you know, kind of irony. It's called "Hard to Believe," a Kiss <laughs> covers compilation. Yep. And I think this is apparently a um, joint effort with an Australian label called Waterfront, because there's a sizable number of Australian acts on this. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but CZ Records was a Seattle-based label, and they were committed primarily to recording Seattle-based bands. It was not unusual for these labels to you know, cultivate their own quote unquote scene. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it was owned by the bassist from the band Skinyard who appears on this record. His name was Daniel House. And um I guess C Z kind of was way ahead of everybody because they released what is universally recognized as probably the first grunge compilation. But and back in the day the term grunge 
it's very different than what became the MTV version that we all know. Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. This was kind of a different thing. It was more of a punk rock thing. Yeah. And it was punk rock bands that kind of more embraced the 70s hard rock style. And um, Would you say Mudhoney kind of fits in Mudhoney was, yeah. And before Mudhoney, there was a band called Green River, who I think were also on this Deep Six comp that that CZ had put out. Um, you know, it's just very much a different thing. It's it's it was a it was a term that was starting to get lobbied about quite a bit. It was kind of a dirtier, kind of like I said, more rocking version of punk rock. Yeah, but more still, chops in it. but still very much a punk rock thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So so, did you hear this record when it first came out, or did you kind of hear it after? I'd the fact? heard of it and I couldn't find it. And I, you know what? I found it finally. It was probably in the summer of '91. And I want to say I found it uh, while I was visiting up in Roanoke, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I had it. And I don't have it anymore. And I think that I passed it off to your yep, stepfather. I was going to say, uh, yeah, my stepfather, Eric Stiff, he has it. Okay. Then that's <clears throat> he's got my copy that yeah. I bought. <laughs> yeah. I have not heard this until recently, like and, leading up to this episode. And Eric, if you're listening, I want it back. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not really a great record by any stretch, but it's very interesting. That, yeah. that was going to be my question to you because, spoiler alert, I, I listened to this all the way through once. Mm-hmm. I could not get through it. Like I, I didn't know maybe if it was a situation of like you had to be there to appreciate it kind of thing. Like if I didn't just understand what they were going for, but it's like every song just kind of felt half-assed. Like it's like even the bands that were doing it, I was like, you know, if you tried it one more time, it probably would have sounded well, better. Let's go through it track by track here, okay? And okay. we'll get our impressions. I mean, uh, it starts off with the band Bullet Lavolta doing Detroit Rock City. Mm-hmm. Now, is um, this one of the Australian bands? Or no, the, Bullet uh, Lavolta were from Boston. Okay, Boston, yeah, Boston. Yeah, there's a lot of bands I'd never heard of until had, uh, listening to this record. I had first heard of Bullet Lavolta when they were touring with a equally probably unknown sound garden. Mm. And um, I remember them playing locally, but I never went to go see them. Um, and there was, it seemed like they had a little buzz at the same time. There was, you know, Soundgarden had a little buzz. Nirvana had a little, this is all before they got signed to major labels. I can right. remember this being an underground music fan. And Bullet, you know, Bullet LaVolta was one of these bands that had that kind of trajectory for half a second. Got it. Not all of them were going to make the bullseye, and obviously we know who did. Yeah. Um, it could have been just as easily none of them. But several of these bands on this comp were part of that trajectory. There was this, this, this rising tide of these bands. Mm-hmm. It was getting very, not popular, but it was it was growing in its popularity. Um, they play this... Uh, pretty straight it, yeah. like you said it seems a little bit beyond their grasp mm-hmm. as musicians but it's performed with a real clear love and respect i think this song as opposed to a deprecating irony which some of these do and we'll yeah. talk about that so I was gonna that's say, something e- i don't appreciate e- no. even some of the songs that aren't trying to hit with the deprecating irony it feels like even all the vocals are like well, that's because they're punk rock bands. Yeah, I was going to say, probably a little too you know, punk rock at, uh, at moments. There's a point where it's like there's that dividing line. It's like, uh, 
you know. Well, I mean, if we're going punk as in like, you know, Darby Crash maybe, but like there's tons well, there's, of but there's tons of punk bands that there's the singers can at least hold a key. Well, there's some of that <laughs> on here, but there you know, by the by certainly by the 80s, a lot of this was coming out of post hardcore and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh you really have to do your history. Uh, as a sidebar, we'll just say if you're interested in learning more about kind of the history of early grunge the pre-mtv the pre-commercialized version my our friend malcolm tent just recently did a uh, little talk where he talks he does a weekly thing it's on it's posted on youtube look up malcolm tent grunge and you'll find that okay and you can get a little bit of a back history of what that was all kind of like back then mm-hmm. uh it it if grunge had maintained this kind of thing the if it had maintained its roots or whatever it would right. never have had any commercial appeal whatsoever do you think you would have appreciated grunge a little bit more if that had been the case me mm-hmm. oh sure i liked it at the time yeah you know i i, I like some and of these see, bands, but it was hard to find for me because i wasn't really plugged in i was still all this for me kind of was a convergence of of events because i was just really starting to get into the punk rock thing and this spoke to me more being a hard rock fan does it make right. sense and probably then then like some of the more like uh thrashier stuff like or heart crossover hardcore was a thing then the crossover like dri and yep. stuff like that and this kind of thing was more like a breath of fresh air to me compared to like say poison or yeah like and when, and, and when you're getting when you're getting like force-fed poison and white snake on, on the daily from Van mtv Halen. Yeah, it, the Van Hagar Van. I was gonna say, Van Hagar at the time. <laughs> you know, and Bon Jovi and all of that. You know, these dirty little rock and roll bands. Yeah, they couldn't sing that very the good. Maybe they falling. couldn't play very good. <laughs> but these dirty little rock and roll bands, man, they just they were like, you know, you, you're like, this is the real shit. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these bands, I you know, I can remember either their names from like punk rock magazines or seeing their singles maybe somewhere, but I would ne- never have necessarily picked it up. So a lot of this is my first time hearing any of these bands up to and including Nirvana. Um, next track was Parasite by a band called The Smelly Tongues, which was one <laughs> yep. of the bands from Australia. And Australia has always been ahead of the world in, 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 in this regard with mm-hmm. this high-energy garage kind of punk rock. Still to this day, too, I think. They've always had, you know, arguably the better bands. Um, you know, Rose Tattoo. Roast, well, outside to, of ACDC, uh, obviously. Going into the underground, there was bands like Bored and... and uh, Cosmic Psychos for sure, yeah. and um, um, there was a band that came up la- later on. Now they were born. There was a band called God in the late '80s, and they were just three teenagers. And uh, one of them, I think his name was Tim Hensley, went on to form a band called the Powder Monkeys, which was really great rock and shit. Um, you know, those guys just they were just balls to the wall rock and roll bands, right? And there's there's just a shit ton of them. I mean, I can't even you know I get I overwhelmed trying to think of the names. <laughs> you know, we had Love who did that song. Ah, uh, fuck. But yeah, just and and this kind of falls in line with that. I don't think the Smelly Tongues were as good as say like a band like Board. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if Board were happening right at this point yet or not. Uh, the the band God on a sidebar had a song called Rock and Marky, and at the end of the song, as it goes out, it does this little bounce, and for no reason whatsoever, they start roll calling all the names of the band members and Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Gene Simmons, Ace Frehley, Paul Stanley, Peter, Chris, Kiss, and ends. <laughs> nice. You know, and these are teenagers in the late 80s. Yeah. They had kind of missed that, but that shows that Kiss is 
thing from we talked about how big they were mm-hmm. in 1980 over there still holds a Permeated. long it's still casting a long shadow oh yeah them like john paul george and ringo almost yep it, well i mean how many bands can you do that with and that's kind of my point why, about the classic kiss versus and all other incarnations yeah it's yeah. yeah um which they don't name check him in that so no <laughs> Uh, Snowblind by Skinyard. And like I said, I think Skinyard might have been the guys behind getting this thing rolling. And that's unfortunate because the first two were kind of just like sloppy, grungy, punk rock versions of Kiss songs. This is the first one I remember just going, ah, very, come on. Yeah, kind of did like the punk rock kind of This like is it. This, is, this to me is quintessential grunge punk to me. Yeah. Uh, this is Jack and Dino's band. I think he was... Um, Oh, God. You know what? I should have had that written down. I don't. But he ended up going on to produce many of the sub-pop records. And that was the real, which really spearheaded the whole grunge thing. Sub-pop had a a record singles club, they called it. And they were issuing multiple singles a month, or at least one single a month. Yeah. Um, He produced Bud Honey. He produced The Dwarves. He produced Nirvana's first album, The Bleach Album. And yeah, Bleach. Yeah. Uh, he produced uh, Zeke, uh, who are a cool band out of Seattle. And I like Zeke a lot too. We hope to hear something more from them here soon. Yes. Uh, nice. Lead singer Ben McMillian would go on to front Grunt Truck before he <laughs> finally uh, succumbed to diabetes <laughs> in 2008. And I only mentioned that because um, I believe Grunt Truck opened for. And I seen the band that I was in before I was in the band oh, right. over in England at one time. Oh shoot! It's, so it kind of this is where that kind of merges uh-huh, with people that right. we actually know, yeah, that were actually part of that when it was happening. Um, it's always good to make the connections. The drummer is Barrett Martin, who would later play in the Screaming Trees, who would go on to okay. be quite successful, and was mm-hmm. also the drummer on the one-off Mad Season album, which was a massively successful album when it that, came out. That also had. Mark Lanigan, right? Uh, it had the the guy from Alice in Chains. Oh, that's right. It was uh, Lane Staley. Lane Staley. Um, so, you know, this just kind of shows how this feeds into a mainstream way in a very indirect way. Yeah. Um, but you didn't like the, the version of it. Did not like this one. This was the first one I vividly remember just kind of going. Was it just ah. because of the vocal? The vocal? And, and I don't know. Snowblind is already kind of a. Okay, we in separate conversations, we've kind of discussed how hard slash you just don't touch Iggy Pop and New York Dolls covers like that. Mm. There, It just has such a vibe to it. This song, to me, almost kind of crosses that line mm-hmm. where it's like really the only person that can really properly play this is Ace in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it just kind of felt like it, they, it was a setup to fail and they even whiffed the fail. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't crazy about it either for like, you know, the vocals. And, and I'm not familiar with this band at all. So I was just kind of looked at it as just a lesser cover of an A song that I like, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah, I don't feel much different, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just like, give us something I wanted, here, I wanted, I wanted to see where y'all go. I, I didn't care for the vocal. I think the music part was okay. I don't think they're... 
I don't. It's pretty raw, but I think it's faithfully executed. I, I'm okay with the rawness of the music of it, you know. But the vocal thing is kind of hard for Man, me a little bit. Sometimes. I feel like you could make that argument with quite a few of these songs. Oh yeah, well I mean that's where this all these bands are coming from, right? And I think my other problem with it too is if they're going. I mean, I understand the concept of like if you're doing a cover or a tribute, you kind of want to make it your own. You want to change it some. But even just little things like we'll get to it later on. But uh, with like Dr. Love, they don't come in at the right time with the vocal or like sometimes they'll shorten a break or extend a break between verses Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it's like those are the little things that I honestly just it, it throws me off when I'm listening to it. It's just like, that's not really making it your own. That's just changing a time signature. That's changing yeah. a break. Well, uh, yeah, I understand that. Um, the next track is Deuce by Tree People. Tree People were from Idaho and uh, features... Did you call like, me? Uh, no, Idaho. <laughs> oh, not you. Not don't, you be so, don't be so mean. <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it features a band. Uh, it features a guy named Doug March who would go on to found the uh, popular indie rock band Built to Spill. Okay, interesting. All yeah. right. Um, I didn't care for this track so much. I think it's got a it has a kind of a cool manic energy. I really like the solo on it because it's I real dissonant and it sounds really good. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the same as you know, but. I, I that was to me the standout part of that whole song. I was like, man, this would be really killer if the whole song reached that level. You know? Yeah. I, one, okay. The one thing I can give this one is I like how during the verses there's a little bit like that straighty guitar kind of laying in between the verses. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. And honestly, I would have liked this one better if the drummer did the breaks. It's yeah. like he just plays steady the whole time. That happens it's a like lot that. too on this record. Everybody <clears throat> just plays it straight, and, and that's kind of maybe. I think that might be a better way to formulate my problems with it, where I'm just like, just those little things of like, hey, tell the drummer just to stop for that half a bar here, just to kind of give it I that feel. I may not have been able to. You know, a lot of these guys are flying by the seat of their pants. They're not particularly skilled or trained or whatever. But to me, that's part of what gives it some of its charm, you know, that that's kind of true. garage that's rock true. thing. And, you know, now that you're saying that, and really, I guess you could tie this into the next track. I wonder what the collective age is of every member on this record. Mm. If you were to do across the board average, I doubt anyone's older than 25. That's what I was going to say. You know, these are pretty young bands. Yeah. Christine 16 by the band All. Which is weird because it's the Descendants with a different singer. It's the Descendants with a different singer. uh, And it features the former Black Flag drummer, Bill Stevenson, who played on uh, like the My War album. Mm -hmm. Um, And this song already fits well into their wheelhouse yeah. what all in descendants do which is that pop punk kind of thing um and so they play it pretty well pretty straight and it works for yeah. me i mean you know because they haven't done anything radical with it um uh, might might have put a little bit of spin on the ball but they're still no, they, pretty faithful to yeah, it they're pretty faithful to it yeah i remember this one being one of them that i was like okay yeah, this one isn't as bad. Like, this one wrote me back in after, like, a good handful where I was just like, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? This was, I still wasn't impressed, but I was like, okay, I can, I can actually bob along and follow this one and enjoy it. The guitar player in this band's Steven Egerton, who plays in the uh, touring, the, the band Flag, which mm-hmm. is former yeah. members of Black Flag. He's the only non-member of Black Flag filling in for the uh, 
the rogue member of Black Flag that they're they're feuding with. So, yeah. Um, he's a great player, too. He is a great player. He plays that stuff really, really well and with a really solid intensity. More intensity than I think than what is demonstrated with all. And I, I, I've always said that. I don't understand how those guys can play that stuff with such intensity and then they turn around and do something like The Descendants, which to me isn't doesn't have that intensity and kind, right. of, kind of find them kind of lacking personally but mm. um we're going to keep moving here let's see calling dr <laughs> love a podcast. <laughs> by the band hullabaloo and i didn't really find any information on this band uh i just didn't like this i thought no. it was disposable i thought it was too dry and too ironic mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. this like, one did it, feel like a little bit of a joke it was a joke to them and you know to me it's like if you're going to be on a tribute album you know, if you don't like the band, don't do it. Yeah, and and the and the kind of call out is like a, there's like a Paul parody at the very beginning. We gotta come yeah, out, yeah, talk yeah. Love, yeah. I, I get making fun of that a little bit, but I don't know. But then again, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they do love the band, and maybe they are just calling out the cheesiness, and you know, in a, in that sort of fashion. Either which way, it still doesn't work for me. I didn't yeah. care for the track. Yeah, uh, I, one I, thing, if the track was solid too, you know. Yeah. And and conversely, to prove to to the other end of the spectrum, uh, this in the, on the vinyl you would flip the record over at this point. The first track on side two is "God of Thunder" by the Melvins, yeah, which is clearly done with a lot of love, reverence, and respect, but still in their own kind of Melvinsy and done vibe in their too. own Melvinsy way. Um, Did uh, even has the drum solo. Yeah, the, uh, from Kiss Alive, t- you know, neatly tucked in at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, was this before or after they did their uh, Going Blind? Cover? I think this is before. Okay, and and but to that end, and I, as as much as I, I I'm pleased with what they were trying to do this doesn't really ever okay my, i've never no. been a melvin's fan i haven't I, either i've never thought they I, were I was, you know how quiet about, i yeah. was being i'm sitting here going i'm like i'm gonna let them go because clearly they're gonna give it some love because i this is one they're, of my least favorites on the record but i get it with the melvins though they're plotting but it's on purpose but it's on purpose and it, it, it's it's still very melvin but i never found the melvin every people talk to them talk about them like their godhead heaviness and it, all this there's a grateful dead kind Kind of like yeah, following with like, the Melvins. Man, they, they really aren't that heavy, and they're really not that. They don't really write good songs. They don't do it. You know, they just never did it for me. Which I feel bad saying because they seem like um, everything I've seen them in, in interviews and stuff. It's always like, ah, oh, man, I want to like these guys because yeah. they seem like really fucking cool people, and they draw from the wellspring of inspirato that I do. And it's like well, you would think that they would be. You know, there's a lot of right up my alley. Everything I've ever heard by this band has never been. Well, to me, there's a difference between a band you'd want to have a beer with versus a band you want to see live. Yeah. Yeah. So these would just be some, it'd actually be a fun band to maybe have on the show at some point, you know, talk to some guys like that, you know? I feel bad because I call them the meh. No, but the uh, there's a couple of interviews. Well, please, we're trying to still get Bruce Kulick on this show, and you've shat all over him (laughs) countless times. So, so Bruce, there's a couple. Why do you suck? He's digging yourself in a deeper hole. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't think he sucks. He's just not my style. There's a couple of funny interviews with Buzz where he talks about you know hanging out with Gene too that are fun to watch. I see, and those would be some cool stories. Yeah. 
Um, and and honestly, like I said, it, it the, to me the saving grace of it is just how much reverence and respect they give the song. That They're I can't really... give it because when they broke into the alive drum break at the very end with the flange on it, uh-huh. I was sitting here, I was like, okay, yeah, I I totally get where they're coming from. They 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 understand it. They it know just, right, it, but it doesn't do anything for you. For me personally, yeah. But honestly, the next song. It's kind of what I was expecting out of the whole record. This was such a surprise to me. Okay, yeah. This is the band Coffin Break from Seattle doing Beth. In like mm-hmm. a very pop punk way. I thought again. that was cool as hell. I did too. I agree. I think this is the best track on the album. It's just um, over like real quick too. It's it's short, fast. It turns that song on. And it, sub- it subverts it in a way, but without doing it disrespectfully. Or, or seemingly disrespectfully, it didn't sound ironic. It didn't sound like they were doing a send-up parody. No, they just did it. They just turned it around and did it their way. This group seemed to be poised to follow in Nirvana's footsteps at one point. I know Kurt Cobain was a big fan of them, mm-hmm. um, but they disbanded in 1993. They were briefly signed to Epitaph Records. That's nothing to sneeze at. And well this that was before this was they broke up a year before Epitaph. All these bands that they had, like Offspring and Rancid and all that started. Oh, it, was, to, it was right before wow. the wow. And they would have had they been right there, there, they would have been right there. Oh. I think Coffin Break would have been a huge band had they not broke up. Oh, that's so sad. And you know, it's interesting that Gene even noted that this was his favorite track from this album. This was the first I think this was the one of the first things that the, jumped was, off the the, I was going to say, I, I kind of finding information on this record was actually kind of hard. Um, I was trying to figure out if anyone, like specifically Gene or Paul, had heard it and what their thoughts were. So, yeah, this that's, is the only track that I've ever heard any, any of them reference. Although I know that Gene obviously was very familiar with the Melvins, and Melvins ended up opening some shows for Kiss at one point. Right. Yeah. But uh, but this, yeah, you know, I remember him saying he, he it was angry sounding and what have you. And I agree, it's it's pretty pretty snotty for a pop punk song, which mm-hmm. to me that's a key fulcrum point from shitty pop punk to good pop punk. Yeah. There is a in most pop punk to me is pretty shitty. It sounds like Sesame Street music on forty five. And the thing speed. is, is like, you know, <laughs> I totally good agree. Pop punk has pop hooks and has a has a has a snarl and a ferocity to it. Well, I yeah. mean, to a point, Ramones are even pop. No, punk, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. yeah, but the Ramones have that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They have that pop hook. They They're have that still sensibility. And they about have Nazis and shit. <laughs> but I also can play with a with an energy and an anger and a ferocity. You know, right. um, you know. There's, there, I can. We're not going to go in. But yeah, that, I, but. I just wish the whole record had been stuff like that. That was like when you take something and do a new in, uh, interpretation of it. That's what I expected, and I really dug it. Same with the next one, uh, Chemical People. Yeah, these were two. Ba- the, I think these are my two favorites. Like these are two back to back solid covers. I am not a hundred percent here, but I believe I think I once had a Chemical. I'm pretty sure it was the Chemical People having a, doing a cover of Surrender by Cheap Trick. I should have looked that up. I meant to. Oh, and shit. I forgot. I'd be actually kind of, now knowing their version of Rip It Out, be kind of curious to hear their Surrender. I'm pretty sure it was Surrender. It might have been something else, hmm. but I'm pretty sure it was Surrender. Um, but yeah, th- this one kind of uh, surprised me. They bumped up the tempo some, but it, they, they kept the vibe, if that makes sense. And, and the bass picked up. Mm-hmm. To fill in a groove. That's because where I, I wrote that down on my notes. I said, cool bass work. Mm-hmm. That kind of yeah. picks up and covers where the drums fail on it. And it's not that the drums are bad. They're just but, steady. But it's, you know, he wasn't going to try to do 
uh, Anton Fig. No, nor, you know, right. well, he, plus at that speed, you really can't. They, really they, can. they, they yeah. 33 to 45 that. <laughs> so it's like they were playing it at a 45 speed. So it's like having a good basis to be able to yeah. add a little bit of that bounce and groove definitely kind of helped keep it on track. It's pretty rocking little track. I think they did a good job with Compared it. Compared to the next one, though, which I really feel like. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of zoned out halfway well, through okay. this one. Okay, this is a band called King Snake Roost, mm-hmm. and they're doing "I Want You." They're an Australian group that kind of received some—I don't know—I wouldn't say popularity, but they were kind of. I can remember them being a, a marginal presence in, in this time when I when I was getting into this stuff. Never my thing. They're. Um, more of an avant art punk kind of a thing. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, sure, why I, I think they probably did more noise stuff, but I'm not real. I'm not super familiar with them. This is very sludgy, very different from the original and very much not my thing. Yeah. No. I didn't think they did a very good job with this. And I didn't know, you know, that leads me to go, uh, to, to ask the question. I wonder if they got to choose the songs or if the songs were chosen for them. Because it doesn't seem like this would have been the type of song that this band would have probably done well. Because I, I wonder if there was something else that they this band could have done that would have played to their own. You know, some of these songs would have to play to the strength of the band. Like we said, Coffin Break did a really you know that played to their strength because they were able to they you know took it to their strength. And the weird thing is, like the lyrics to Beth are kind of a pop punk song when you just read the right. lyrics to yeah. pop punk songs. But the same with All. Mm-hmm. It worked. It was already right there for them. And same kind of with rip it out uh and even to the degree god of thunder works for the melvins and to to play to their strength yeah you know for that style for that style and but this doesn't seem to work for this band on any level and i you know and i can't you know it seems like i've listened to some king snake roost and it's been years so first i've ever heard of them i can't remember um the next one what you would think would be kind of an interesting thing. I thought it was. Okay, there's a lot to, to pick apart here because yeah. this is the most talked about song. Most widely recognized band on the on the record. This is Nirvana. Never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I well this is when I first finally heard Nirvana. Right. And they're doing a a very uh, Nirvana e. They're no. doing a very. Um, they're doing. Do you love me? Yeah. And they're they're doing a send up of it. Mm-hmm. And it, I've, I, this is funny yet almost insulting at the same time. Um, I'm not sure a hundred percent, but I'm pretty certain Kurt Cobain doesn't sing on this. Um, you don't think that's his voice? No, I. I I, I don't know for certain. Mm-hmm. This is one of the only tracks that they had Jason Everman playing guitar on. Yeah. Who was only in the band for a nanosecond. He's on the cover of the Bleach album, but he doesn't play on it. He left Nirvana, right? Mm-hmm. And joined Soundgarden. Right. He, he had he joined Soundgarden and toured behind the album Louder Than Love, but he doesn't play on that. <laughs> and then he left Soundgarden and he threw him out. And he sort of just sort of disappeared into the ether until he kind of popped up in a, in a New York Times story about his uh, work with the Army Rangers. Just Interesting. The, the Forrest Gump of uh, grunge. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I saw him play with Soundgarden in 1990-something, when around that time, 92 maybe, 91. Huh. Um, but 
I have heard somewhere that he's actually the, doing the vocal on this as well. He's like the one guy in the group that was the Kiss fan. Yeah, but well, I don't know Dave that that's Grohl. true. I don't know that's true. Dave Grohl was wasn't in the band at this oh, point. Oh, he wasn't. This is no. with Chad Channing on drums. I was going to say, I don't know my Nirvana history, yeah. so. But the lead vocals might be Chris Novoselic. And well, see, because, okay, now knowing that I'm pretty Grohl sure he's the, the one doing the, at the end, I don't know yeah, what I'm yeah, trying yeah. to say because I just can't say what I don't, you know, which was funny. It, well, so. Uh, but unnecessary. This actually re- repaints it for me. Okay, so, again, not knowing my Nirvana history, I kind of just mentally assumed that Grohl had kind of been there from day one. Why mm. not? That's the only German you ever hear about associated with Nirvana, really. So, knowing that he was a Kiss fan. I was kind of looking at this through the lens of we're fans, but we're going to do just a snotty little impression of it because, you know, especially as the black sunglasses and backstage pass makes you look just like a queen. Mm. That part, he's being super, super eccentric with the vocal. So I was kind of sitting here going, and even the guitar is messed up. Like they're playing wrong notes on purpose. So it's like, okay, maybe just some fans are having a goof. But like now knowing that not even necessarily a fan was in the band, it kind of does paint it in a little bit of a different light for me. Well, I, I thought it fits their vibe just fine because I know Kurt Cobain would always had that uh, inkling in the back of his head that he wanted to be like a cheap trick kind of band when it came to writing songs. And I thought it was yeah, a pretty solid choice Yeah, but he's also been vehemently like anti-Kiss though. Has he? I didn't I, know that. I, well, I mean, not maybe vehemently, but like he's he just not did, had, like corporate rock. Yeah, and he's dude, always kind of lumped Kiss thing. into that. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I really don't know where his where he fit into that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't fully that, either, but um, I just never caught the vibe that he appreciated it. There's a story that is told about the what we'll, we're getting ready to talk about the, mm-hmm. the the official Kiss tribute. Yes, where Gene got a hold of Kurt Cobain in the studio and had a long conversation with him, not realizing the whole time it wasn't Kurt Cobain. I forget who it was. But Kurt was like, take this call and pretend like you're me. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's great. That's really good. That's I like that. That's the kind that. of shit these guys would do back then. They weren't afraid like to subvert everything. But, you know, I, you know, again, this is a pre-Nirvana Nirvana. Right. You know, yeah. Pre-Nirvana Nirvana. Right. Um, capital but I, you know <laughs> this but still this kind of dry ironic take on on it is is not something I appreciate it's something that exists a lot in rock and roll even to this day that I really don't like you know yeah I, it carried over to to bands that I mean, we won't get into it but yeah I just That's don't like this show. I don't like that whole we rock nudge nudge we, we get it get it like they're <laughs> making fun of it and I'm like man you know bring it like you mean it Bring it like you mean it, or don't do it at all. Yeah. Um, next track is the only non-makeup era song on the album. And this is the hard-ons from Australia. <laughs> See, this sounds like, you know, Terry down the road made this song in his garage. <laughs> this to does, me. No, this, this really does sound like open mic night. And Terry <laughs> grabbed the fucking guitar. Bruce decided to jump on the drums. And they decided to try to do a version of Lick It Up. My wife's singing the harmonies on the chorus. Yes, yes. <laughs> th- this sounds like some bar and grill karaoke open mic night. Well, the hard-ons are a pretty popular band in Australia they've been around forever sorry Australian fans <laughs> they did a cover of ACDC's um, oh god was it Let There Be Rock or A Whole Lot of Rosie I think I don't remember and Henry Rollins sang lead vocal on it no shit cool which for him. is kind of 
you know, but I mean, I think it just goes to show their stature down there was a little no, different. I understand and I think, that. And, Nothing to take and, away from their stature, but, but, but there's this. This is is equally as boring as the original, in my opinion. I actually know? didn't give it a full listen. I was just like, no, no, you're not doing anything extra with this. Just, Skip. Just, <laughs> I didn't even try. He just made me laugh. He's just like, lick it up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I got through a verse, and I'm like, nope, I get it. <laughs> the next two groups, I can't find any information on. Um, I. I, the next track was War Machine by a group called The Instigators. Mm-hmm. I found an Instigators that I don't think is the same band, so I didn't want to comment as to who they were or where they were from. Um, Musically on point, vocally all over the place. Yeah. that's The vocals are is weak, but I like the dirty rock guitar over the original. Mm-hmm. I think it, this sounds what I almost like. I could almost hear this would be the way it would have turned out had it been... You know, Ace and Peter may be doing this song. Because I always thought this was a pretty cool song anyway, but with that kind of vibe, it adds to it. I I'd think agree with it's, that. it's superior. If the vocal was as equally as strong as the music, I'd say it was superior to the original. Really? Which is, which is a rare thing to say mm-hmm. about a cover. Yeah. But it just it just has that rock vibe as opposed to that lumbering metal vibe yeah. that Kiss were trying to do. And it's a I lot don't, more straightforward. And I don't, you know, and we've talked about this, I don't think Kiss made for a good metal band. No. Not at all. Um, the next band is called Thrust. Another band I can't <gasps> find anything about. Making Coincidentally, love. and prior Thrust. to us recording this yesterday, just yesterday, uh, I actually came across an album by this band for sale. At a really? Store. <laughs> no one almost. Getting... Yeah, after I'd already done the homework on this, and I was just like, "Well, son of a bitch!" Look at that. <laughs> I should have picked it up, but I didn't. Uh, they do making love, and. I think they play this pretty well, but it, it, to me, I, I got kind of a snotty old school punk rock energy vis a vis the Dead Boys. Yeah. yeah. I think this is one of the few where the speed didn't give it its due. Maybe if they had done it slightly slower. Maybe a little slower, but it had, it, it still has its own energy. And they kind of give it an ending, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of, yeah. The yeah. track of the, the original phase. But when out. I say de- when I say punk rock, I mean like an American. Right, know, the right. American division punk rock, which was you know, very much, you know, sneakers and blue jeans and fast food and comic books. Yeah. No, to, to me, this not, is probably not, the most punk not, song yeah, on the record. Not, not the British spiky hair and all that stuff. Uh, this is like very the, this wouldn't have been too this wouldn't have been too separated for something like the Ramones to pull off during like Pleasant Dreams, Too Tough to Die era. I you know I I think they do this with a with a, a decent respect. Mm-hmm. Um, the the album ends with Love Gun by the Surfing Caesars, which is another Aussie outfit. Aussie Aussie. I always say Aussie <laughs> instead of Aussie. I don't understand where that comes from, but whatever. I, I think this has got some killer guitar work on this. But I don't like the vocal at no. all again. Again, that seems to just be the overarching thing is some of the music and orchestration is pretty cool on here. But all, mo- if most, if not, maybe like three songs, the vocals ruin it. Yeah. Hearing all this now, this whole album, it all sounds kind of dated in its way because mm-hmm. it comes from a very particular point in time. But at the time, that was all still very much cutting edge. Oh, yeah. You know, because it was informing what was going to become commercially successful in the next year and a half. And see, and, and that was going to be kind of my 
conversation point to have with you, which is why I was asking if you kind of caught this during its wave. Mm-hmm. If yeah. if maybe it, if it hit you on the first listen a little different than it had me, because my history with this record is um, since Eric had a vinyl copy, of course, I was like, oh, yeah, I've never listened to this. Before. My vinyl copy. Yes, your yeah. vinyl copy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Paul wrote uh, uh, God of Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> That that's Paul's new little oh, throwout. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. if if Gene takes credit for something, he always leans in. And I wrote God of Thunder. I wrote God of Thunder. <laughs> well, it, what's interesting again is that this is largely well, what you. What, well, what I was just gonna say is because for me, I kind of felt lost listening to it. Right. So it, it felt like. Even though I knew there were quote unquote noteworthy bands on there, because I did do a little bit of back reading because I didn't recognize any of the names. So seeing the few connections of like Black Flag members, XYZ, it kind of grounded it a little bit more. But if I had not done that, it really just felt like a bunch of unknown garage band guys locally all got together and just decided to record a bunch of Kiss covers and well, release. It. I think that was a big part of the appeal of that whole movement in its time was right. that it was the antithesis of that high gloss, you know, hair metal, MTV stylized hard rock, okay. whatever. Now something like this, this was is bringing just it back to that. That was very important that it brought it back to that. The irony of this, you know, and I guess you could call it, for lack of a better term, true grunge rock or whatever. Um, but the irony of this is that, you know, that said, the MTV division, they would come up a year and a half later to become massively successful commercially with, uh, again, Pearl Jam, Allison Chains, that sort of thing. And that would be what Kissed would have later attempt to mimic, mm-hmm. which we will get to on yeah. another episode. Um, but... Um, it's the idea and the sentiment driving it, you know, not those bands, but the fact that those bands are all doing kiss covers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like the cool kids club now, uh, putting kiss over like that era of yeah, kiss over. This is, yeah. It's, it, it kind of, and that was what kind of made it neat at, at, at the time. Got it. You know, again, it's, it's new generation of bands that had cut their teeth on classic kiss and it's creating a groundswell of reconsideration and reappreciation or a new appreciation. And even the cover itself is a abstract version of the four faces from the Love, Love Gun, Gun album. album. Yeah. And I think if I remember right, it was a gatefold sleeve. And I think the, you opened it up and it was just a, like a, you know, a collage of all the merchandise. Oh, wow. It looked like it was from somebody's personal collection. I remember you Probably going, was. just like drooling over it. <laughs> but, you know, this is very organic and unplanned. It's an organ. The whole phenomenon is un- organic and unplanned, you know, and, you know, it just seems too good to be true in a way. And right. there's, you know, you could only fuck it up if you put it in the hands of Gene Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> Not in his world, though. <laughs> so that album came out in 1990. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, all of this is happening over a course of several years, I guess. But at some point in 91, 92, 93, mm-hmm. the band's finally made aware of it. Apparently, it was their manager, Larry Mazur, who finds a copy of it and brings it to the band to show them, look. Because his whole operative word he has said in interviews was cool. Everything had to be cool. Right. Oh, okay. And he said, look, this is fucking cool. You know? Okay. Interesting. And so Gene kind of studies it according to, this is according to Larry Mazur, and says, okay, I want you to go to Mercury and tell them 
we're going to do our own tribute album. Let's get some money going here. Mm-hmm. And at which point, Larry Mazur goes, you don't do that. That's not <laughs> you cool. Don't do that. that is not cool. <laughs> at which point, he's told, shut up and do your job. <laughs> and according to Mazur, um, you know, they're you know they're instructed to get the money and start putting together a list of acts. Yeah. And according to him, there was an A list, a B list, and a C list. Wow. Who was on the C list? I don't think they went. Basically, with... this album is the C list. I thought they had to go with the <laughs> the list after. I don't want to call it the D list because there's some there's some not D list performers on here, but it was still the yes, there are. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. At the end of the day, this ultimately leaves to Larry Mazer leaving. His position as major. Yeah. He quits over this. Wow. This I didn't know that. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but is I it will smart say, because he, you know. I will it? say it's interesting because Kiss plays it to where they just want a new manager for the reunion tour. Well, this is before that. This is 1994. So this is two years before the reunion. And, and we'll get to that because mm-hmm. Mazer does come up briefly in the picture in that. Yep. Um, so... They are, according to Mazur, you can, you know, this could be an apocryphal story, but apparently it would be Gene would call somebody. Yeah. And like Madonna and say, I want you to be on our, this is Gene Simmons. Yes. Of Kiss. Yes. I want you to be on our tribute album. And she'd go, oh, sure. That would be wonderful. That would be great. What a great idea. And then, you know, two hours later. Mazer, we get a call from Madonna's manager going, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> Why in the hell are you calling, you know? Yeah, Gene yeah. will say that and, he's reached out to everybody from like Neil Young to fucking um, uh, Baby Got Back. So it makes a lot. I think that Nirvana story that I told where he said we thought he was talking to Kurt Cobain was part of this process. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think generally that was the, the you know, people would politely say, oh, that would be nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. Mm. And then, so it's like and the artist would get, be fine. And then they'd hang up and call their manager going, what the fuck? That guy from <laughs> Kiss with the tongue yeah. called me. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that's what was happening. I don't know for sure. But at any rate. I remember hearing that too. They eventually do get to put together this. What is this? <laughs> This is entitled Kiss My Ass. Which, now, before, we, before we fully get into the record, I do want to go over one point of minutia that I find very interesting. Aces makeup? Yes. <clears throat> now, the re- uh, if you look at the album cover, you see a guy in Paul, Gene, and Peter's makeup, but then there's a kid at the table that's kind of wearing like a redone version of kind of like Paul's bandit makeup but with like a gold outline. Right. It's, it's kind of like a newish design. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason they couldn't do that was because they couldn't clear the rights of Ace's makeup. But that conflates with stories that Ace had already sold the rights by now. Here's what I think was happening. I think had they all gone to court, Paul and Gene would have walked away with it. They owned it. I think... And I don't know. This is I've given this some thought because it's 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 very cloudy. Mm-hmm. Very, because again, we, uh, from what I've heard in the mid eighties or something, because Peter was the first to sell, mm-hmm. and then Ace held out a little longer, but by the late eighties, he sold. I don't know to what end that works. I, it could have been um, there could have been an agreement where basically Ace is allowed to use that makeup design with with in, with impunity. 
and they would have rights to use it too. But maybe at that point, they didn't really want to poke the bear. It would have been easier and cheaper just to have altered it rather than even if they knew they could win a lawsuit, it's not something they would financially want to absorb Did they think Peter just the might cost. not care or they didn't mind poking they probably, at Peter? I think they own Peter outright. Right, right. But I don't know. I'm just – this yeah, is, right. spe- it's this spe- is speculation. speculation. So yeah. I don't know. But it makes sense to me that even now I bet Ace has rights – to use that makeup. Oh yeah, because I, his, I see that design well, like on his anyway. website yeah. in like places. So no, I, but I, would I don't be, think I. You know, I think it's probably legally it's probably owned by Gene and Paul, but he has a legal right to use it because you know that's that's trademarked. Yeah, that, we've yeah. talked about that in previous episodes. That was a big deal for them to get those designs trademarked, and mm-hmm. then of course, what do they do? Take a year later, makeup. take it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so for, for a Kiss Nerd podcast, I did want to kind of bring up that little bit because everyone just kind of writes it off as, oh, they just didn't have the rights. Well, technically, I think, I think they, they did, did by now. I think they so. just thought it would be cheaper and easier just not to go there. Yeah. But um, either way. Yeah. The album is called Kiss My Ass, which I think is a horrible title. <laughs> Aw. They just started leaning into the edginess a little bit more. Yeah. In the late now, but but they, ex- in, mo- in deference to most retailers, they changed the, the, the word ass to a asterisk asterisk mm-hmm. and so asterisk i can't even say asterisk, asterisk is a hard one <laughs> and so it's been kind of colloquially nicknamed kiss my asterisk <laughs> <laughs> now i will say there is a bunch of bands that try to find punny words for like their cover albums like probably one of the better ones i've seen is like under the covers and it was like covers of like yeah, love right, songs right. and stuff it like was, that yeah I've got a great one that I've personally never seen anyone use. Now that I say it, I'm going to get flooded with a bunch of people going, oh, someone called it this. Take cover. Oh, yeah. I, I've <laughs> never seen anyone call an album or a covers album take that would, cover. That would be good for a Kiss cover album. That's what I'm saying. So especially like if they did like the War Machine kind of visual, take cover. Come and, on. And in the photo, the, the art me. itself looks awful too it's just the family with kiss makeup around well, with and it has the flag as the backdrop and depending on the country you're in they would change the flag i only i think they did that in three or four different yep, countries four. oh okay um the so let's th- what i was gonna say to add to like more minutiae it's like uh they wanted to recreate the presence album cover from led zeppelin which why yeah that, and i you know what i never thought of that but i can see it now that mm-hmm. you're saying it yeah that's a good point um I everything about this is really kind of it's it, odd. It's, it's just weird. It's just it's so tacky. <laughs> I will say I've I've had a little bit more time with this one over the years than I have the other. The, the um hard to believe I've kind of listened to maybe once or twice. This one I remember kind of popping my head in and out of at different times throughout the years. So I, I actually have a couple different interesting takes on this record. Okay, uh, this was my first time ever really listening to it all the way through. Really, I, I had no okay. interest in any of this because I don't like any of these bands. That's what kept me from it over the years. Same. Um, not I won't say I don't like any of these bands. I mean, I don't like like the, most of this. It's like Lenny Kravitz is fine, and you know Stevie Wonder's there because okay. Well, yeah, let, let's get into that. Okay. That was something I right, thought okay. was interesting. Start off right. That's the the first track right out of the shoot is Lenny Kravitz doing Deuce, mm-hmm. and with Stevie Wonder on board. Yeah. yeah, playing harmonica. Like that was the one. The one A list. See that coming. The this one A list phone call that went through. <laughs> it's it's different than the original because it's a little more subdued. Mm-hmm. A little more funkified. Yeah. Definitely funkier. Um, but um, allegedly, Stevie Wonder had no clue what the hell this was or what it was even for. Yeah. <laughs> and that that was actually recorded over a telephone. 
Interesting. Hmm. I think, or some. It's it was early digital technology right. to be able to do that from the way they did it. It was kind of a thing, but hmm. I don't think Stevie Wonder knew that this was going to be part of a Kiss tribute album. It's like Kiss. What? Who? Yeah. What do you mean face makeup? I can't see. <laughs> yeah. You've never seen Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've never seen anyone. <laughs> but I don't know. I have I'm you ever a- seen Stevie Wonder's tour bus? No. Neither is he. (laughs) (laughs) And he rode that thing for years. (laughs) I think I'm not a big Lenny Kravitz fan. I couldn't sing you a whole song off the top of my head. And he did a horrible, horrible cover of of another song. And this one kind of, this one kind of follows in line. It's fine. But at the same time, if he's going to do a song, it felt like this was going to be the one. Mm-hmm. And of all the songs, it lends to a groove because of the riff already. If that makes sense, right, right. I get so this is kind of like yeah. a da 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 da. And I think I think he's I think he's a professed Kiss fan. Oh yes, he he definitely loves the band, and I think he has put a lot of love and heart into this, and he has tried to make it more his own. So that. I have a lot of appreciation and respect for, you know, I think it works for him and his style. I'd agree with that. You know, um, it's not something I personally care for, but I think it's easily one of the better tracks on this album. By far. Um, I mean, I'm kind of the same boat. It's fine for him, but but I can take it or leave it at the same time. Yeah. I I think what really drove it it would have been, and and this is no Stevie wonders. Stevie wonders a musical genius, right? (laughs) I don't disagree with that statement. I think the harmonica could have been replaced with a, with a fat Les Paul lead guitar over it. And this thing would have been a whole nother beast. Mm-hmm. It would have been, it would have been the best of anything. I will say the production. It would have been the best. They had been better than any Kiss song in that era, you know? For real. I will say the production leaves it lacking. Like it, it feels like if they had just done a little bit I'd more with the with guitar that. tones well, it was and the drum recorded tones. recorded fairly quickly on the cheap. Oh, absolutely. But it still just feels a little thin. I think if they had just beefed it up a little bit more in post-production, it probably would have had a little bit more guts to it. But yeah. either way, fun, fun intro. Yeah. I agree. Uh, followed with Hard Luck Woman by Garth Brooks. Country, and country superstar Garth Brooks backed by Kiss themselves. And yeah, that's the part that just weirds me out so much. Easily the best track on the CD, though. <laughs> really? You think album. so? I 100%. You know, Garth Brooks was a big Kiss fan and modeled his show accordingly. He brought the big Kiss show to the country circuit which yeah. now everyone in country's doing exactly but it started with him for but country. it started with him and he stole it all from kiss i mean right up to flying all of it yep mm-hmm. flamethrowers the, the whole nine yards yep i don't understand how that works in the context of a country <laughs> show i don't, I don't either know I'm not how, a do how does flames and fireworks work during a paul mccartney show but he makes it work true true fair hey, man fair th- point that thunder rolls yeah, I guess. I don't. I mean, I've I'm not never, a fan either. You know, Garth Brooks to me is sort of the patron saint of pop country, the way country has been so watered down so yeah. poorly. We wouldn't, we would never have had a Luke Bryan if it weren't for Garth Brooks. I 100% agree with that. Um, I will say it's so interesting. And I think th- they kind of showcase this a little bit better on this record than the previous one how you can take a song and change one little aspect. And it's all of a sudden a brand new song. Like you wouldn't listen to the original version of Hard Luck Woman and go, oh, that'd be a cool country song. 
But as soon as you throw his twang on the vocal, it's a country song. I don't mm-hmm. think so. I disagree with that. I think that this could have, and, and I'm going to get to this point later in this album. I think that it isn't a country song, and I think that's what hurt it. This was this. This wasn't even released as a single. It no, should have been. This should have been oh, the lead single. But, Absolutely. But I don't it, I, I it wouldn't have gotten played, I don't think, because it was still going to be too rock for country at that time and too country for rock. Okay, yeah, I am and, looking okay. at it through a 2020 and not at lens. all favorable to top 40 pop radio. No, I I am looking at a retrospective lens where country has now gotten so muddled. I hear something like Nowadays, this, this and could, now this yeah. sounds twangy country as hell. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but interestingly uh, Garth Brooks wanted not to do a country version of anything. He wanted to do a full bore hard rock. I want to do some classic Kiss. Wow! I want to break free of my constraints yeah. here and do something different, Have some fun. And was kind of told, "No, let's just put your hand into this glove right here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if that ain't country, I'll kiss your ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, it doesn't work for me. It's I mean, really interesting hearing Paul backing up another singer. Yeah, they like that. They would end up playing on the Tonight Show with him. Mm-hmm, I've, and, I've seen that. Yeah. But um, you know, it, the the thing to me was the curiosity of what if he had tried to do. You know, he came in and said, "No, man, I, I want to do." You know, making love, making love, <laughs> or something. You know. Uh, I want you. Wonder how that would have worked. In um, the morning, I raised my. Hand. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he would have twanged it. You know? no, I don't I think he has that much of a twang. I on, want you. I don't, think, I don't think he has that much of a twang on this. I don't know. Be a hard luck woman. Well, he's playing a little bit to it, but yeah. I think I think it's kind of a. It's more or less the draw than the twang. Right. Yeah, I think right. he could have done it without that, and I think he, you know, it just would have been curious to see what what he would have chosen to do and how it would have turned out yeah. had he got to do it that way. Um, this is followed by Anthrax doing "She," which we talked about, I think, in the last episode. Just touched on briefly. Yeah, I mean, uh, John Bush era Anthrax, no less. Yeah, and Gene and Paul actually produced this one. They kind of directed them and kind of pointed them in the direction well for a band that's supposed to be part of the so-called big four of thrash yeah this sounds really weak <laughs> i just th- i don't understand that guitar sound See, at it all. sounds big but they're thin it doesn't sound big it sounds like it sounds like the wicked lester version with distortion with cheap distortion at that it's terrible sounding and people love this guitar sound i had an argument with my brother about this he's like man that sounds great and i'm like man, that sounds like fucking like broke dick <laughs> it's fucking terrible i will agree like I, i'm who not listens a, to this shit and go yeah that's fucking great we all like, know at least 10 people <laughs> i'm definitely not a fan of that guitar tone and honestly I, out of the big four i've listened to more anthrax and metallica than any of the rest and this is just indicative of anthrax's sound at the time and i didn't care for it who does this appeal to in 1994 though and we're at right in the fucking blood and guts of grunge, grunge yeah well, and I mean, I can't also see that this was like who was like you know. Obviously, we know these guys are big fucking Kiss fans. Yeah. Um, but but it just doesn't come through. It just it, well, it does. They do the coda of uh, yeah the, of Dan, the live you know, version uh, yeah. of the live version, but it's got all the annoying speed scales and all I think that. It's, and I just, I just think it's fine, but I will agree with you on the sound. You know. It's, it's weird hearing a metal band do it, but it kind of works in a metal sense just because of, you know, the way the riffs played. 
I don't know. It's fine. Again, I can take it or leave it too. Yeah, I could leave it. I just, I just, I don't. I guess part of me is also judging it again as a quote unquote heavy metal band that has no heaviness to them. It's just so steely yeah. and reedy and and just it doesn't really work for me. Um, you but know, yeah. and, 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 and it's also one of my favorite Kiss songs. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This one just didn't. Even though I, I was an Anthrax fan, and this was one of the reasons I wanted to listen to the record, I was like, "Ooh, Anthrax doing Kiss." It, it's it's in the same line as uh, the same era did a cover of "We're a Happy Family," and it sounds about the same. It's, oh, it's, that's yeah. not that great either. Mm-hmm. The Ramones song "We're a, not, yeah. We're a Happy Family," rather. Um, this is followed up by the band Jim Blossoms doing "Christine 16. Now, this is fresh from their success as a with a multi-platinum debut album. I think they sold 4 million copies, which oh, wow. makes them arguably the bigger band than Kiss at this point. What was their hit? Uh, they had a song called Hey Jealousy, and, oh, God, I can't remember the other one. I'll look it up. It's like Jim Blossoms, Spin Doctors. Yeah, they were part of that. You know, this is, that was Hey the Jealousy, end. Found Out About You. Found Out About You. Okay. That, I hate that. Follow You Down. Song. That, yeah, they're, yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, all of these have, have like, most. That, that band was so fucking benign and terrible, and so was this cover. Till I hear it from you. This sounds like a demo to me. It's so poorly. Recorded. I know quite a few of these do. It's it, and now, uh, and Kiss would end up playing on the Conan O'Brien show with them doing this song, mm-hmm. and you can tell one of the guys is really into it. If you ever get to see the footage of it. Kiss looks so bizarre next to him, Gene and Paul do, because again, that crepe hair looking, their hair just looks fucking fake. It's, it's just frizzed it's, out. It's like all crazy looks and terrible. The extensions. They look like fucking wax figures next to this band of kids. You know, it's really bizarre. It's a super surreal thing to watch. If I've you only got one major it. takeaway from this version. So we've all kind of addressed how. The middle part of Christine 16 is a little weird. <laughs> Even for the era, it was a little weird. Both the tribute albums keep this. <laughs> Not only do they keep it, he repeats it over yeah, and over, yeah, over yeah, at the yeah. end. So it's not even like the, guys, look, I'm going to do it like once or twice. Like, pick which one you like better or splice them together. Like, I, I kind of don't want to do this line. No, he repeats it. Oh, and he even says something like, well, maybe I do. Yeah. Something like that at the very end. And I'm like, God, you're making it worse. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was kind of creepy to start I, with. And you're making know. it a little worse. I don't know. I never cared for this band. This this was like there when these bands would come. It's almost like garage rock bands from the 60s. They come from nowhere. They have a massive hit and they go back to nowhere. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they don't, you know, it's like, who are these bands? Why did they even exist? They existed so they could the, the labels the could beast. turn out yeah they could turn out product and that's yeah. all this is is product yep all these bands that came up post grunge all these alternative bands were just product and the thing of it is is so is the hair metal bands mm, they were yeah. just product as well and, and and depending on your fan base you get one kind of opinion or the other if you look at it from a whole you realize none of these bands ever mattered they were never going to matter they were all just simply product yeah 
uh, and Kiss take that gin blossoms <laughs> and Kiss, Kiss were not product and I think Kiss would gladly have served to have been product at some point I but, think they were a little bit of a product in the 70s but they were quality product well I mean they but I'm, so, a, I'm showing that this had shelf life right 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 yeah. you know it wasn't something to sell this week this wasn't a with. non-perishable this, this is a, yeah this is a yeah this is a non-perishable product this is something <laughs> that and that's my point that's my point about Kiss as a whole, they're the Twinkie of the rock and roll universe. <laughs> it, it That's kind of how they sell themselves they may, every now they and may then. They may be of no greater quality than a Twinkie, but who doesn't fucking love a Twinkie? That's what I'm getting at. Exactly. I that was actually a pretty good analogy. <laughs> um, okay, and going back to our debate about the countryisms of Garth Brooks, this is the very curious anomaly on this album: "Rock and Roll All Night" by a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket. This is such a bullshit track. <laughs> well, it, it's it's really odd because you know they take this rock and roll anthem and turn it into a country rock song, and you know I don't know if this is meant to be clever or ironic or both. I just thought it was dumb. I was just like, it's delivered to it. so straight. When the and the arrangement's different, like chord changes and things like that too. I'm sitting there going like, why? <laughs> you know? Well, it's interesting in its own failure because to me, I'm I'm listening to it with hindsight now, knowing that there's a rise of alt country that comes up very close behind this that does this. Right. But does it much better. Right. And I can't tell if they're being serious or if they're not. But, uh, you know, I think if it weren't rock and roll all night, Mm -hmm. you know, for that genre, it would have worked as a song with its own legs. So I think they're being serious, but it's like, it's almost like, well, we have this song and it kind of works in the same kind of, you know, it's really bizarre to me, though. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll give a different take on it because one. This is one of my favorites on the record, honestly. Mm-hmm. It it really caught me off guard in kind of a good way, mm-hmm. mainly because the vocal's pretty strong. Like it's it, it's maybe a little twangy and maybe a little of the time, but like the vocal's strong in that he's hitting the right notes, he's right. hitting the right keys, he's got the right melody, and he goes well, back. That's to what it. I'm saying. It's, so he's not sending it up in any way. No, and honestly, it felt like a campfire song. Take away the pop country of it. This sounds like some Kiss fans had an acoustic guitar even, and was just like, fuck it, check this out. Uh, I wouldn't I even call it I pop country. It. I would just say it's like, like more alt, of an alt country well, alt kind country, of a thing. You know I, I mean, but the thing it, we were talking it, about it, earlier. It, even, it has pedal steel on it too, doesn't it? Man, if they would have No, it's got it it's got like some strings or it's got a little extra something behind it, but it's not like a pedal steel. It, 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 I found that it grew on me as I listened to it and I was like, because I went from like, what the fuck is this? They're going, well, that's kind of curious. And see, and that's why I, I say it I sounded like I just, liked it. it. To me, it just sounded like some guys around the campfire that just started kind of riffing. It's like, you know what? I could put rock and roll all night lyrics over this. Well, and then and then by the end of the night, you've got like everyone around there going, you know, ah, what a real. Well, I don't know. I, there, there was a certain amount of fun to it that I really enjoyed. It's, it's arguably like it. the most original take of sure. any of the versions. <laughs> you want to say album. that with the next one coming up? Yeah. Call, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna read my notes on this, and then I'm yeah. gonna let y'all say whatever you want. 
I wrote calling Dr. Love. The group is called Shandy's Addiction. Uh-huh. A quote-unquote super group featuring Ooh. members of Rage Against the Machine and Tool. Okay. This band had no reason to exist other than to record this horrid track, <laughs> which also had no reason to exist. This was, is just stupid. See, I, Discuss. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought that was somebody familiar, like the singer. That sounds like the guy from Tool. That's who it is. Okay, so yeah, it's awful. I hate it. It's fucking terrible. I'll just co-sign <laughs> everything that's said. I hate it. Why? I mean, and this—that's this one is like, that's like that. That's the ironic shithead '90s you know, take is, on this. And and you know that the guy, the guitar player from Rage Against the Machine, is a like a next level Kiss fan. Yeah, and he seems like a really fucking cool guy. Again, mm-hmm. somebody I could sit down and talk music with or whatever else. But I fucking hate Rage. I hate that guitar tone he has. I hate the way he holds his fucking guitar. <laughs> right? Up to his chin. It's, it's like when you're talking about someone, you're like, and I even hate the way they eat their food. Right. <laughs> you know? And, 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 you know, whatever. Me and Billy the Kid, we never got along. Um, <laughs> it's not good. No. Why? This Next. just goes to show that they're just, they're overreaching. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're now they're scrambling just to. It's like was Why this assembled? Get, but it can't and, get Tool. We can't get Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. But what if we get the guy from Tool and the guy, a couple from, a couple from Tool and a couple well, from this, Rage? You know said it, yeah. It might be that like half the guys in Tool were like fuck that, and the half of the guys in Rage Against the Machine were like fuck that, yeah. and the other guys were like, well, we want to do it. Yeah. And then they come up with this bullshit name that kind of like plays off James, James Addiction, Addiction. Yeah. with with the song. The Shandy. kiss song Shandy. It's just everything about this is just bad. It's like once you've gotten that far, you got to realize oh, this is not a good idea. No, but, uh, but they this, do this it one anyway. is tied with another song for my least favorite. We've not gotten to that one yet. Well, the next track on here is Dinosaur Jr., the indie rock darlings, both then and now, mm-hmm. doing Going Blind. See, this would have worked as the alt country song. Picture like a slow acoustic uh, version that's, of this. That's true. I had not thought of that, but yeah, that may. Um, I'm not fond of this. I'm not either. I don't like the strings underneath the guitar. Really? And I don't like Jay Mass's solo on this. See, I like Dinosaur Jr., though, but him singing this is kind of weird, you know, because well, that dry kind of, you know, I'm 93 I, or 16, yeah, even wrote, though it's in key. I wrote that this song still works, though. Even in spite of its poor arrangement, simply because it's a great fucking song. Yeah, it's still kind of hard to destroy because it's it's just it's always been a really great song. Uh, this one was a standout for me. I remember listening to it the first few times around and hating this version because mm-hmm. of his vocal. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh my god, this is wretched." And then when this version came up again, I was like, "Oh god, I forgot about this." But more I started listening to it. The more I kind of started like going back to it, like as I was kind of like skimming the record again, like right. I'd sometimes like hit the repeat on this one. Like something about this one really grew on me to the point where I kind of like the vocal delivery. Like there's something about the lyrics with that delivery that work because the song isn't very cheery. It's not morose, but it's no. not a cheery right. song. Right. So having so even with Caps thing the. I'm 93 or 16. He kind of, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, yeah. and, and even though it sounds lazy. It kind of also gives a dreamlike kind of quality. To exactly. It. it gives it a certain vibe. And you know what? This is a perfect example of, I hear the beginnings of Symphony Alive. I hear the beginnings of them going, huh, you can put strings behind our music. 
This one and another song, I think, is I the know. beginning yeah, seeds right, well, of the thought. Because yeah. I know other bands are doing it at the time. But not, not at this. Not like. Has the Metallica thing no, not happened? No, no, no. Okay, I didn't. I'm again. I'm. I don't research is, bands pre, like as much pre, as I do this pre, one. Pre, pre dates all of that. It's <clears throat> yeah, not unusual so, to have strings in it. It's a little bit unusual for them for this band to have strings in it. I think. Yeah, they're mostly. Tell me just, something. Maybe you know Jay Massus. Or Jay Mascus. I've heard Mascus. I, you know, I should know more, that. More you know, so he played that. with Gigi Allen. Really? Yeah. He did a show with Gigi Allen. And, you know, they are notoriously a, a very loud, powerful group. And mm-hmm. I think that doesn't really translate on anything I've ever heard recorded. By no, them. it doesn't translate to this, really. No. But no that, th- that, this was a fun little divergence for me I, I i seem to enjoy the songs on this record that kind of steer away from it like deuce was enjoyable mm-hmm. um the rock and roll all night this one so the ones that kind of stray away from the formula a little bit more i seem to kind of like right what i like about jay mass mascus is that he uh he talks the way he sings <laughs> if yeah. you watch interviews with him he's just he's like, so like yeah, just we've got these marshals <laughs> they're cool um, Next track is Strutter by the group Extreme, who in this moment were in the waning throes of their own popularity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they were extremely popular. <laughs> no pun intended. And this works for what they do, but what they do doesn't work for me. No. No, me neither. Uh, positive. Good vocals. Uh, I mean, he, he's a strong vocalist. but Everybody the, in that band was strong. Yeah, yeah. but but the, the music just falls flat well, the thing that bothered me about extreme and this bothers me about this track is it's like they try to use these different ideas you know they try to be like funky and groovy and all that and i just always thought that was so fucking pretentious and phony and i just it just doesn't work for me and that's the reason why those bands like extreme don't exist today but it's like it was annoying to me because like the chorus is super strong with the background vocals mm. and everything like everyone has a really good strong voice and, and it, i'm just like put some good music behind this and this could actually be a really serviceable cover but alex that's nuno betancourt guitar god give a shit cap <laughs> that's gary sharon of, of van, van halen, halen at one point <laughs> Woo, whoop-dee, let me whip it out and twirl it for you whoop-de-doo <laughs> I don't know. I, I it, you know, but I get why they would want this group on their thing. Yeah, I get but it. But this, it, it didn't. this was two years after their peak. Again, on their C list. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's followed now by uh, a very curious anomaly on this: the Lemonheads doing Plaster Caster, and this sounds out of place on this collection to me. It would have fit better on the Hard to Believe collection. I agree me. with that. Just, now, Lemonheads was a name I had always heard, but I don't think I've actually sat down and listened to any of their music. Me neither. Um, you, you know, I've heard a little bit. Of, I never got into them. Okay. I didn't care for them. Um, but I think this is a fairly decent take because it doesn't change much from the original. They do yeah. kind of a direct. It's it's not bad, but it's not great. It's kind of unremarkable. It's unremarkable, and you know that's the to me that's like worse than being bad. Because um, at least with the bad that we talked about, there was like you have an opinion exactly. Yeah. Th- this one is just so middle of the road. It's like it's not great, but like they didn't do anything different to make it disgust worthy. Yeah. yeah, I don't feel like 
listening to it again you know it's like, it's <laughs> like so room 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 temperature table wine with your dinner it's like, <laughs> yeah you know yeah, that was good but you know, was that was I yeah. no. it's, not, it's not like you're gonna be going what 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 was that man you know, how would I get a bottle to take home Let's now something we discussed skin. earlier in the episode about Gene just calling folks mm-hmm. with this next song I wonder if that's what that was oh yeah that <laughs> because voicemail. the beginning of this which is uh, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones uh, covering Detroit Rock City, starts with a voicemail from Gene Simmons. Of and he's kiss. basically saying, of kiss. Basically <laughs> saying of kiss. that Megadeth was supposed to do Detroit Rock City yeah. and that you guys are allowed to do basically anything else other than Detroit Rock City. And then you hear, dude, loo, 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 loo. So it's kind of supposed to be like a joke on, like, you know, ha, 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 we're going to do Detroit Rock City then. <laughs> Fuck you, Gene. Right. But I wonder, like, if that was like a genuine voicemail from Gene. Like before, may, it may, it may like before well Megadeth been. dropped I out. I don't know. That that kind of irony is the kind of stuff that I don't get off on. I've never enjoyed this band. I think they're an insipid frat band that enjoyed 15 minutes of fame, which was 14 minutes and 59 seconds longer than it was needed or deserved. Woo! Fuck <laughs> this. I hate these fucking... It's, you know, people love this like ska thing, and I always thought it sounded like fucking bad frat boy music. You know, it's yeah. like, hey guys, let's have a band. Well, I can't play guitar, but I got a horn. <laughs> I played trombone in high school. And there, and I'm in my defense. There are there are some uh, ska bands or whatever that I, I think are okay, but they're the ones that haven't have been informed by something European you know, ska and shit right. yeah, that that come from like you know dancehall reggae or something, right? Now, this does not. These are all hardcore guys playing with the horn section from the local fucking high school group or something. I don't fucking know. Now, it sucks. I, I, this is my, remember when I said uh, uh, that song and another's tied for my least favorite? This is the one. This mm. is one of my least favorites on the record. And I, actually, it has to be my least favorite. And it's because it pisses me off. Because the music I don't hate. I don't hate the musical rendition of this. Do, except for the horn parts that are on the weird I, spots. I'm getting to that. But it's the goddamn vocals. That, well, I mean, and that's, that's that guy comes from Boston Hardcore. And I, I hate it. Yeah. Boston Hardcore. Mm-hmm. I, I it's, it's his vocal delivery that drives me up the wall. But what Cap was talking about with those random horn sections. Example number two. Of the beginnings of Gene and Paul hearing yeah. that their songs can have horn sections. And the reason I bring it up is they're doing a very similar break on the symphony during the dun, 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 dun. They're doing a very similar horn section on symphony. It's not one to one. There's a couple different notes, but the attitude and the delivery is kind of there and that's why i say i think subconsciously when they were writing out the music for symphony they were like well we can kind of do they weren't writing out the music no it was the composer but you know what i mean we've talked about in the past how a lot of their stuff even going like all the way back to their earliest stuff had that kind of r&b soul influence and i I've said I could hear horn sections like a Memphis style horn section on some of that like stuff. A Barry Gordy arrangement or something. Not a Barry Gordy arrangement. Memphis stacks. Oh, you come full on stacks. I'm talking, yeah. And, you know, 
so that doesn't surprise me so much. I just don't think this is done good. No. I think it it, no, it isn't done with, with that. that kind of a of a thought, and I think that it hurts it. I just, I already, like I said, I've said what I said, and I just find it weird that Gene seemed to really sign off on this version because they made like a music video, and I think even Gene guest starred in it. This is the only single off the album. Yeah, so like Gene really like put his stamp on this, and, and they they pressed it as a vinyl single on green vinyl. So for cool. collector nerds that <laughs> just have to have it, and you can't forget the random outburst of notes and franticness at the very end of the song. I don't, I didn't care for it. No. Uh, the album closes with Black Diamond as uh, composed, I suppose, yes. by uh, Yoshiki, who was a member of the band X Japan. Not, not, not X, X Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Not the good X. <laughs> <laughs> the other X. The X. I don't understand. I'm sorry. I don't understand okay. what... I don't understand why these bands exist. This is like the the ex Japan is very much like the Dream Theater and the Trans Siberian Orchestra and this mm-hmm. kind of neo. I fucking I hate this shit. Out it's on like this, one. <laughs> this just this just fucking it just completely. It doesn't just eviscerate it. It doesn't just emasculate it. It it doesn't just castrate it. It fucking <laughs> removes everything come on man You're, all I, I don't reproductive like this. organs i don't this. like this either but i love the colorfulness to it <laughs> this is forgettable movie music to me. That, you you hit okay. the nail on the head you hit the nail on the head don't listen to this as an orchestral version of Black Diamond because you're not going to get that. Right. That's what I was hoping for the first time I listened to it. I was like, oh my God, they're going to give us some really big, as you're kind of expecting from a song like that. This yeah, crescendos, crescendos. <laughs> this is a Lord of the Rings. You're hiking up the mountain, about to reach the destiny after beating the final boss. Mm. Whatever, man. That soundtrack's banging. I'm just well, kidding. But that, <laughs> the, I, if again, if you're looking at this for, <laughs> if you're looking, Russ, wake up. <laughs> if you're looking at this for excitement, it's not going to be there. But I find it interesting. That you could kind of slip this in an action movie and not immediately catch that as Black Diamond, and that's what I kind of took away from it, and I enjoyed. But it's to me, All it's right. forgettable movie music. It's not memorable. It doesn't have those big crescendos. It's not like John Williams doing an epic score like he did behind. Say, you know, you you know the music when you say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. You know the music when you say Star Wars. You know the music when you say. Jaws, you know, these are memorable soundtracks. You know the music from Superman, the original Superman. You know, this, I couldn't, you know, it's just, it's so... It's, it's very too flowery. self-reverential. Yeah. It's like, dig me and what I can do, and I don't like that, and I find this a stupid ending to a stupid album. <laughs> Only in the U.S. was it the ending, though. Well... I, I don't know about the rest of it. So well, there's only comment. one other song, Unheilie. Yeah. <laughs> Unheilie. It's the German band, right? Uh, yes, yeah, a German band called, uh, I'm not even going to try, but it's Die and then A-R-Z-T-E. With umlauts. Yes. And either way, it's kind of an interesting version because they're singing Unholy in a completely different language. So you're getting like a really different vibe to the song. And honestly, what you say was German? 
Yeah. Yeah. It kind of has an extra little bite to it because German is not the nicest sounding language to start with. And it's, uh, they have, and they kind of thrash metal it up a little bit too. Yeah. They, yeah. they give it a, it's, it's got the production you don't like, Russ. But Germans it, always sound like they're mad at you when they talk, even if they're telling you sweet shit. Yeah. So, so a man. Yeah. So, so the chorus on this. I love you, baby, so much. Please let me just. <laughs> off. Yeah. So, so for unholy, they're going, on Highly like that. It's, just, it's kind of spooky. <laughs> Run and hide. Run and hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I forgot that that was on there. I didn't even look that up. Yeah, it's it's an interesting version. It's it's definitely not good, but it's it is what it is. It's a German band playing unholy, and they kind of thrash it up a little bit and sing it in their own language. Yeah, I mean that's cool. Kind of cooler than a lot of the tracks on this album. So honestly, yeah, like okay. What you were saying, Russ, this one would almost kind of fit on the other record a little better. Yeah. Like, it, it has a certain rawness that the other tracks don't have. Everything else felt kind of slick and produced in L.A. This one kind of had a little bit more of that underground. Yeah. <laughs> they recorded that in Germany. <laughs> this, this this translates, their name translates to the physicians. Ooh. Okay. The that's, unholy that's physicians. As far as I'm going to go into researching, with yeah. <laughs> I, 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 but along know, with the CD and cassette tape, they also released a whole movie for this movie. Yes, a, uh, they released a VHS for Kiss My Not Ass. A movie, a I home video. Home, yeah, a home video. Okay, you, sorry, well, you confused me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a video, I not think a, a movie. Picture. I think a movie. Yeah, there was the home video. I, um, do we want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty light, um, but it does have cleaner versions of things that we had not gotten up to this point, uh, like the unedited Mego doll collection, the unedited makeup co- uh, commercial. Mm-hmm. So it's like we got like little snippets of it with like other background music. This is the first time we saw them in full black screen to black screen. This came out and yeah, I guess this came out in conjunction with. Or right thereafter, and it does feature them in the studio with Anthrax. I mm-hmm. remember that. But m- the selling point of this home video was the same. It was the selling point of every home video they had done primarily to this point, which was that treasure trove of classic Kiss er- makeup era footage, yeah. which is all anyone wanted to see. No, oh, one, yeah. no one gave a shit about non-makeup Kiss. Yeah, and I got no- non-makeup Kiss fans who like, that's not true. That might not be true for you. The the there, I'm sure there's a there's a you know it, obviously there is a, a contingent of the fan base that likes that stuff. Right. But again, no reason for this band to exist whatsoever outside of that foundation, and they are finally embracing that. And you're seeing this obviously again. Everything here is primarily from both of these tribute albums are primarily from the makeup era that's yeah. being covered. Mm-hmm. I think Lick It Up was the only song from the previous record. So, and then on this one, well, that's War still Machine makeup. Still technically that's makeup. true. That's true. That is makeup. But then the only song on this one was the bonus track on Hiley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then you see this uh, again, you get, you were finally getting to see all of this non makeup stuff. They're showing off uh, classic renderings of, uh, album artwork that mm-hmm. in progress. You well, know. because they also use this as a way to do cross promotion because they're also talking about making history 
they kind of oh, write yeah. the book. Uh-huh. Well, the book comes that's, out the same time. That's why you're they're kind of showing off some of the old photos and stuff. And, cause they're like we're building together a Bible, and that's what you wanted to see. And they and that was what was so exciting about that book because it was going to have so much of that behind the scenes stuff. And and that's all anyone is really they've really primed the 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 tank for this and for the extra minutiae aspect and you know uh, who they hired to start putting all this together that's what i was about to get into yeah go ahead young tommy thayer tommy thayer's behind a lot of this he's working behind the scenes making this happen Mm -hmm. Um, this is i think he's mentioned a few times that um history was like the first big project mm -hmm. they kind of put him on and was like hey prove yourself help us put together this book they approached uh I forget who was it they approached a publisher about doing this book at one point and it went through several permutations and then at another point I think they were talking to the publishers of what was rock and roll comics which would have been kind of weird before ultimately deciding to do this book themselves Mm -hmm. which is probably the smart thing to do even though it had binding issues on the first run from what I understand the first (laughs) run had really bad binding issues I've got a copy um I don't pull it out much because I'm always scared that I'm going <laughs> to deal with the binding <laughs> You're like, do I have the first it's or really, second run? It's I don't know. It's really excellent. It's really well done. Uh, I think there are superior KISS books that are have come up in its wake. Um, maybe we should do an episode on KISS books. I, I think know. that would be a fun I, one. Yeah. Fun. Um, there's a lot, though, that I haven't seen or read, but uh, maybe it'll give me an excuse to spend the money on it. It's actually one of my favorites is still over there. And even though it's kind of controversial because some of the photos are a little fixed up, I still like the Kiss Early Years book. Oh, yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. It's like, but people kind of at it because like all the jeans photos, think, like I, the I, eyes are dotted or something. I think the absolute, you know, pinnacle for all Kiss books, the, the, the measuring stick as far as like photo books and stuff like that. Is Lydia Chris's? Book. I still got to get my hands on that. Fucking awesome! Mm-hmm. It's not good. I don't see anyone touching that. Um, but the Kiss Army is alive and well. But yeah. the Kiss Army is alive and well. They're they have come of age, and you know they're they, finding that this audience exists, and it's not necessarily a niche audience. Um, and they're about to kind of witness that firsthand with our next episode from. Uh, Nirvana to Garth Brooks. Well, I'm talking about even on a fan level being so appreciative of the classic era. But that celebrity endorsement don't hurt either. Um, I had another thought and I've just lost it. So maybe I'll pick up that thought and we'll uh, share it on the next episode of No Time to Turn. So we bust out some acoustic guitars. Yeah, we will bust out the acoustics, man. (laughs) Talk about sitting around the campfire. Yeah. Uh, and we will look at the unplugged album and the convention tour and the really the the hard foundation for what will ultimately become the reunion. So hopefully you guys will take the ride with us and we will see you all next time on New Time. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com/slash something good network.